0: This is episode 75 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast, and I'm your host, John S. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with Derek Bennett. Author of Addictus. Derek describes the book as the story of a recovering alcoholic's spiritual and intellectual journey. It discusses in vivid detail his trials with alcoholism and how he eventually found sobriety without reliance on AA or belief in a god. It is a powerful message about overcoming adversity and, above all, a love story dedicated to his long lost mother. Good morning, Derek. Good morning, John. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) These intros are always a little bit weird because I I actually always talk to the guests before I say hello. So this is like the second hello. It's always the first um, conversation I have is always the more natural one. Anyway. uh, (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) No worries.
0: (laughs) Anyway, Derek, um, I really enjoyed your book. Derek wrote a book called Addictus. And did I pronounce that right?
1: Yes. Okay. Mm
0: -hmm. Addictus. And is that a... um, a Roman or a Greek legend?
1: I think the word itself is Latin, okay. and and I don't know that it actually goes back to any bona fide ancient, you know, any any myth from antiquity. I think it's it's a more modern legend, so okay. to speak. But okay. I still thought it was pretty fitting for uh, for the book.
0: I did too. I liked it. Um, Addictus being the name of a slave who, um, whose master, um, set him free, but he was so accustomed mm-hmm. to his chains that he wouldn't remove them. What a, a fitting description of addiction.
1: Absolutely. That's a very fitting description of addiction. That's yeah. So why don't we
0: um, before we get into the book? The book is a, is a very it's a very short book, um, but <laughs> v- very compelling. Um, and it was a very generous thing for you to do with your talent to share that with us because you were so yeah. honest about your story. And it's yeah. our stories, I think, that that draw us together and give us hope um, more than anything else. And so having that out there in the public like that is a great service. And I r- encourage anybody to read this book. But before we get into that, why don't we talk about you a little bit? Can you, and and maybe that's about the book anyway, but can you give us a little bit about your background and what maybe got you to write the book?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, naturally, uh, anything I had to say about myself, it's probably covered in this book, short though it may be. But to begin with, and and just as the book, uh, you know, right from Right up up the gates. I was raised in a very unorthodox Christian uh, setting. I had um, basically my grandparents had embraced this notion of uh, Christian universalism, which they they didn't know that that was what it was called at the time. You know, come to find out years later, I would do some searching on the Internet and found out, oh, hey, they're not alone. You know, (laughs) there's a lot of people who believe this. But Christian universalism, not to be confused with uh, Unitarian universalism, Mm -hmm. which is like more of a pluralistic religious movement. Mm -hmm. But Christian universalism is an exclusively Christian belief. But the idea inherent in that is that if Christ, you know, uh, if, if, if God the Father loves all of us as though we are his children, then it stands to reason that he would never want to punish, uh, punish any of us, you know, permanently mm-hmm. or indefinitely. Uh, you know, the, by the same, I guess by analogy, a parent would never punish their child for eternity right so the idea was that though people do go to hell it's it's only temporary <laughs> and that uh eventually christ will have redeemed every last living soul and furthermore uh to to believe this about christ is to believe in him fully mm-hmm. and uh and so this is where it got a little nutty and this is you don't find this in in uh in in you know, the the Christian universalist movement that's actually Mm -hmm. out there. But my grandparents reasoned further that to believe in Christ fully meant that uh, you inherited physical salvation. In other words, just as John 3.16 says that he who believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. They took that literally to mean that we would never die. So as a child, I actually had this unique sense of immortality. Um, and, and, I guess I can go on to tell you where that broke down was that, um, you know, I was raised to believe it, to believe it. And I, and I believed it, you know, with all my heart as a child, it was what my mother taught me and, and her biblical worldview was, was very much impressed upon me. So was and, the belief
0: uh, that you would not physically, it's not like you would die and be resurrected, but you would not ever physically die at all? You never experienced Never death?
1: physically die at all. Wow. At all. Yeah, exactly. So um my mom believed this my dad was he was uh, up in the air about it he was unsure and I, and I would as a child I would ask my dad I'd be like dad why don't you believe this you know uh, <laughs> we'd come to dad wanting him to to uh you know to embrace this just as we had and he, all he could say was that he just he, he wasn't sure he, he didn't know what to think of it so some years later, after being diagnosed with uh, with cancer, with a brain tumor and lymphoma, um, it, it was uh, I suppose by my mother, it was it was urged upon him more than ever to accept this. And lo and behold, on his deathbed, he finally did. So mm-hmm. we were of the mind that hey, you know, mm-hmm. he has accepted the salvation, and uh, you know, death cannot take him, cancer will not win, for uh, you know, he has embraced. Christ fully and cannot die. Well, you know, within a matter of months, sure enough, he did pass, yeah. and that was where everything kind of broke down. Okay, that was, uh, and as I explain in my book, I think there's this tendency for evangelicals to stereotype non-believers, such as in the movie "God's Not Dead." Uh, this idea that uh, because of some tragedy. We right then and there come to disbelieve or harbor anger toward God. So, like mm-hmm. we really do believe in Him, but we're mad at Him. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just, that's not descriptive of my experience at all. Rather, mm-hmm. what happened, it, it was sort of the catalyst. Right. For me to begin questioning things, but I didn't all of a sudden just become a non-believer or an atheist that day. That's right. absurd. Yeah,
0: that was my experience. It Was a gradual kind of a coming Absolutely. to understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I had a similar experience with that too. Um, although I, I, I'm like you in a way, though. You had it's kind of interesting. You had a religious family that didn't go to church. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess culturally within your home, you had this belief system. Um the home mm-hmm. that I grew up in we didn't have any anything like that. There was uh I think in my case what happened is my father and mother they come from the south and they were Southern Baptist and they were religious and my father even taught Bible um school. But when he went to Vietnam, um he came back a different person and uh there was no talk of going to religion i mean going no talk of religion or going to church after he came back from vietnam and i don't know what the hell happened there but it changed yeah. it changed him to the point where from that point forward religion really wasn't an issue in our house and Um, Every kid was allowed to go find their own way. And a couple of us went into evangelical Christianity. Um, I became an alcoholic (laughs) and eventually made AA my religion. And now I'm an atheist. And so I don't know. But I had that situation where I did go through a period of time where I was um, trying my best to believe. And um, I was a follower of Pat Robertson. This is back in the 1980s when yeah? um, mm-hmm, televangelism was really big, you know? And sure, uh, yeah. I was looking for an answer. And I'd sit there and I'd watch Pat Robertson on television. And Pat Robertson said he really believed that you could pretty much order God what to do, <laughs> you know, if you really believed, right. you know, God would answer your yeah. prayers. And he said that. He says, you know, all it takes is you have to really believe. If you believe that God will answer
1: your prayers, then God would. That's the very definition of magic. You know, yeah, it Magic is. is achieving worldly aims through supernatural means. So while, uh, you know, any given religion likes to engage in special pleading by saying such things as, well, we're not a religion. Those <laughs> other religions are religions. Or, you know, oh, what, what, what we're involved in is the supernatural, but it's not magic. Those right. other religions and those other religious founders They practice magic. No, it's all magic by definition. That's exactly what it is.
0: Well, I tested his theory the night that my mother was dying, and it didn't work. And um, that didn't make me an atheist right off the bat but sure, you sure. know it's like it, it I, I was no longer a fan of pat robertson <laughs> so anyway yeah. so i had i had a similar experience but it, for me then what happened with me I, I, AA became my religion and then i had to unwind myself out of that but i interrupted mm-hmm. you i want you <laughs> go on with
1: no you're fine uh just pick up with my my story i suppose yeah so you went from um,
0: that that moment where um, your father died, and um, yeah. that that had to have been, have shaken everybody when you're when you believe that you're immortal.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, I think for for my mom and for my grandparents and and, uh, and and her sisters, I think that for them the whole physical salvation aspect of it kind of broke down, but then they still believed in. The Christian universalist idea, which was yeah. that you know they still held on to the idea that Christ would eventually save every last soul, but they—they, they, I mean. No cognitive dissonance reduction could save, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. uh, could rescue the the reality here, which was that physical salvation was a farce, you know. And um, so I make a point, though, in the first chapter of my book where I discuss this, I sort of set the stage in that first chapter, especially right there toward the end, for explaining why it is that I went on to explore and investigate things, but also why it is that I went on to become an alcoholic that the seeds had basically been yeah if you read the very end of that chapter it, it tells you in, in addition to this having been you know this this catalyst that mm-hmm. would uh you know uh, catapult me into this great intellectual journey it, it was also something that left a swelling hole in my heart and um you know losing your father at such a young age and 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 uh and uh, anyone who has been through such loss knows that it's a total misconception that such things bring the family close together they you're don't right. because everyone deals with grief in their own way. Oh boy, you're so, so right it, about it, that. It, yeah, exactly. So it just it, it actually kind of tears everyone apart you and so uh right. Oh man, yep. So there was a good point. Yeah, there was a lot of resentment and and just um exacerbated grief over that and then my mom ended up remarrying to a man that uh, was not all bad, but uh, was not all that nice either. Um, And uh, as I said in the book, my father's death basically cascaded into a sequence of experiences that uh, that that fostered a great deal of anger and resentment and uh, and grief and sadness and you and, and of course you know when we talk about is it nature or nurture obviously that's a false dilemma right um, you know certainly there's, there's the the nurture aspect of it that I've been talking about there's also the nature aspect of it and that I, I inherently have. Uh, chemical imbalance, depression, and anxiety, clinically diagnosed obsessive-compulsive disorder. So it's nature and nurture here yeah. that that have always been at work, and and you know taken together, they sort of created the perfect storm. I mean, the stage was set early on. I, I, I'm almost able to forgive myself, knowing mm-hmm. that anyone else had they been in my shoes, had they experienced the same tragedies, uh, tragedies I haven't even gotten into yet, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and had the same uh, biological predisposition. And they, too, would have become alcoholics. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole determinism versus free will thing. And, and that's a whole other can of worms. But uh, there, there's almost there's almost just a deterministic factor at play that it, it was almost inevitable that that was the, the path that I was unfortunately going to have to go down.
0: And I wonder if, um, if maybe in a way that you kind of did, you justify your drinking in a way like uh, using using oh, sure. that? Yeah, I think I did too, to a certain extent.
1: Right. Yeah, and I'm not saying any of this to justify my alcoholism mm-hmm. or my behavior, and then right. and that's what we as alcoholics and addicts, of course, we that's what we, we do is we intellectualize or right. uh, or rationalize or try to justify our behavior. Right. Um, I, I do think given. Uh, the factors I mentioned that it does make it understandable. Like when you, when you you see it in context, it makes it much more understandable, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's justified. And in no way am I trying to justify it at all. No, no,
0: no. But yeah, that was, uh, that was me. I, I, and I, I've also come to um, understand, at least I'm trying to, the um neurobiology of addiction and how it works in our brains um Mm -hmm. and so there's a there's that definite biological component that we have absolutely no control over and our brain brain is an organ it's just like any other part of our body and it can malfunction and when Mm -hmm. you put chemicals into your brain and um you have the right gene that gets activated um, mm-hmm. you're gonna be addicted. And that's Absolutely. just that's just what happens. And yeah. so like in your case, you know, and, and I, I share a lot of a lot of your experience, you know. I dealt with depression and had, you know, trauma in my life, and I think that's true for a lot of us. Um, but I also had this this strange something happen that that turned on. That once I started drinking, I, I could not stop. Um, and that, and I, it's really interesting with you because there was a point in your life where that turned on and it was like your senior year in college. Um, cause like before that, you hadn't really had a problem, but until that senior year, that was when you got drunk for the first time. And from then on, it yep. was,
1: yeah, yeah. I, um, I you know, was pretty focused on academics and such all through college even though I was at Ball State University which is like notorious for being a party school mm. uh, I, both myself and the girl I was dating at the time we were focused on academics and I wasn't much involved in the party scene at all but uh, the summer before my senior year we broke up and that's when I started hitting the party scene mm. and when I uh, became intoxicated for the first time it was a feeling like I'd never experienced before and what's interesting is that every alcoholic an addict you talk to will describe yes. their first experience with intoxication that way, that it was just a yep. sudden magical experience where uh, it almost as if it, it had suddenly you'd, you'd found your medicine, yep. so to speak. Yep. The, the cure for all your pain and grief and yep. all of that. And, and that's precisely why it takes hold. Um, yep. And uh, and so I, for many years, was I would say a functional alcoholic, and then I, I you know, between living in uh, Indianapolis after I graduated and in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and being involved in the nightlife and all that, I was out on the town quite a bit, mm-hmm. and uh, practically every other night, and uh, uh, more often than not, I, you know, if it, if, it, if it was during the evening or on the weekend, I was drinking. Yeah. And eventually, you know, that progressed. As we all know, this is a progressive illness. Right. Uh, it progressed to the point where I, I suddenly was, I was—I just—I just wasn't comfortable unless I was intoxicated. Right. Um, but it crept up on me so mm-hmm. gradually and so first that you—you're you, oblivious yep. to what's taking hold, to what's yep. happening to you. And uh, by my late twenties, at least, I, I, I was. You know, by that point, I was a chronic, wow. severe alcoholic. I mean, going on week long benders and suffering excruciating withdrawals whenever mm-hmm. that substance absent from my system, sick mm-hmm. as a dog. Um, I lived to drink, as I said in the book, not just because I enjoyed the intoxication, but because I needed it mm-hmm. to feel normal, to be stable. I was sick without it. That's how severe. Purely yeah. Alcoholic, I was.
0: Yeah. And then you, um, uh, at, a, at a certain point, you ended up going to a treatment center, um, yep. and was that was that in um, was that in Alabama?
1: In Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. I was. So I was living in Nashville, Tennessee, at the time, and the closest uh, rehabilitation center that my insurance covered was at this uh, Bradford in Huntsville, Alabama. So that's where I ended up going, and I had a wonderful experience there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the weeks that I was there, I I took it with all the seriousness of a college course, and mm-hmm. I took copious notes and tried to absorb everything. And, uh, and I just, I did exceedingly well, I exceeded everyone's expectations. And everyone was proud of me The you know, the people there, both the patients and the staff, my employer, family, everyone was proud of me. And then, uh, it just so happened to be my last night there. I was supposed to, um, to graduate or, or, you know, you know, step, step on into the real world following day. And, and one of my counselors woke me up in the middle of the night like around one o'clock in the morning and I was a little bewildered by it and uh and he leads me out into the hallway and he's like how how are you doing Derek I'm like I'm 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 fine you know I'm wondering at this point am I in trouble for something he leads me down the hallway to the office of my primary counselor both of them just happened to be there at this odd hour of the morning I'm thinking what on the what is going on here this is just strange this is odd and um, they sit me down and then I, I remember that my primary counselor looking on you know looking on me intently and, and gravely and, and telling me you know the first thing out of his mouth was Derek there has been an accident and right away you know my thoughts mm-hmm. went to my family mm-hmm. <clears throat> whom I, I, I knew had been on their way down from Evansville to pick me up the following day and take me back to Nashville And then he went on to tell me that he said, you know, your, your, uh, your older brothers suffered a broken shoulder, but other than that, he's fine. Your, your sister-in-law just has a few, uh, cuts and scrapes and bruises, but she's okay. And your niece is perfectly fine. And he paused for a moment and said, your mother has passed away. And it was, I mean, right away, I I was in a state of shock, uh, it wasn't one of those deals where you just fall to your knees, you know, Mm -hmm. crying. I was in an absolute state of shock and almost felt like I had been retrojected back into a state of withdrawal. I was shaking. I was nauseous. Um, And that could have been just purely shock, (laughs) you know? And yet, and strangely I knew that I wasn't shocked, but it didn't alter the fact that I remained in shock. Yeah. And, uh, so, the timing was just impeccable. And it's almost like something out of a movie, mm-hmm. you know, who, who, who just so happens to lose their mother, who, you know, uh, I gotta tell you, was, was my best friend, yeah. uh, the person to whom I was, uh, yeah, I mean, reading the book, that, that message is clear. Yeah. Uh, this was the person I loved and adored more sure. than anyone in life. I was incredibly close to her. And so her loss was just, it was, it was a tragedy that I can't even express in words. And, uh, so, so I mean, it goes without saying that, yes, I would continue to suffer, Mm -hmm. uh, from, from my condition. You know, I, uh, managed to stay sober, I think for about a month while home at the funeral, surrounded by supportive friends and family and whatnot. But the moment I returned to Nashville, and uh, and reality was upon me. I I didn't stay sober long, and mm-hmm. uh, and so I would go for a number of years. Um and I, and I mean through hell and back. Um, before I would ever eventually sober up for good, yeah. at least tentatively speaking.
0: <laughs> and during that time too, Derek, you had, you know, you had some experience with AA. I mean, so you heard mm-hmm. you, there's some good things that you drew from it, but you're not crazy about the the vast majority of it. But mm-hmm. um, so that you want to talk a little bit about that experience of.
1: What? Yeah, I, I absolutely want. Yes, I, I absolutely want to preface what I'm about to say by saying that the, the uh, just as you said, there are great values and principles at the heart of AA. Mm-hmm. The whole notion of embracing acceptance and serenity. You don't even have to believe in God, okay. you know, yeah. to embrace the serenity pair and understand the power inherent in that message. Of sure. just you know, living life on life's terms, and 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 uh, not kicking against the ox goes as it says in the Bible. Uh, you know, just 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 uh, embracing a more peaceful, tranquil, and and you know, serene life. I mean, there's a lot to be said for that. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, wonderful values and principles at the heart of the organization. Wonderful people involved in the organization. And I, and I, though I myself uh, do not participate in the program and, mm. and really can't advocate for it without mm. being a hypocrite, sure. I... I I gotta say I do not begrudge anyone for whom it is helpful. I, sure. I would never discourage anyone from going, uh, and, and in fact, I absolutely encourage people right. to go if indeed it is helpful for them. Right. So I I don't want to sound like a hater no. here. You know and what I mean? And you
0: and you didn't come across uh, that way in your book at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're very, yeah.
0: Very clear on that point. That you know, not for you, but good. hey, if it's good for others, please right. do go. And right. that you did borrow some things from it that that you did find Absolutely. valuable. And Absolutely, It's perfectly understandable why somebody um, would object to it. Um, you know, I'm an atheist, and I tell you, I I go to meetings now that are completely secular. We don't pray. We don't even read from a lot of the AA literature.
1: Oh, it's great that you had that resource. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. So it's a different kind of a thing. But um, when I go to a regular AA meeting, especially now that I've had three years of secular meetings, um, it's a shock to my system. I can't. I, I. It's hard for me to sit in my seat and not get into arguments with people. That's how it's gotten right, for me. Right.
1: Right. So. Uh, as I say. Uh, <laughs> I take very seriously the the idea that you should minimize resentment, and for that reason, that's you the I <laughs> There you go. And so, for that reason, I don't go to AA. <laughs> <For> you, <okay. laughs> you know, that's how I minimize resentment. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> And I like what you say, too, because, you know, um, it's very interesting um, when I w- at our at our group here in Kansas City. It's a it's called We Agnostics. And it's, like I say, it's totally secular. Oh. Um, the people that come to it are people that would not go to AA otherwise. And a lot of times they're people that are now beginning to experience problems with alcohol for the first time. So they're like in their 20s and 30s, you know, and for these people the AA message just does not register. And one of the things that I have found, particularly with younger women, is the notion of um, powerlessness is is objectionable. To say that I'm powerless over alcohol. um, Yeah. You know, and I like the way that you put it in your book, is you say Uh that I do have the power, the power within. And that's Absolutely. ultimately what we yeah. all find is we do have the power. Um, but that, that whole thing is um mm-hmm. causes a problem with uh, that that language.
1: It is. And that and that is where having having prefaced things as I did, that's that's where I have to come down on AA in that uh of course it's it's rooted in this the uh well, the Oxford um, group. what oh, with well, the Oxford yeah, group, the Oxford yes. Group. And so of course it's just swimming in Pauline theology, which is this very uh um, anti humanistic, uh, message wherein, uh, we, you are just fundamentally flawed and mired in sin and helpless short of God's grace, and, uh, you are to daily dwell on your various shortcomings and character defects. You know, I mean, is this helpful? To me, it just seems self-defeating and counterproductive. You know, one of the things that we as alcoholics and addicts need to learn to do, I mean, we, we're already downtrodden, and, and, yeah. and if we do have any sense of of, uh, of decency at all or any kind of conscience, we, we've already beat ourselves up pretty yeah. badly. We're yeah. already humiliated and demoralized. So I agree that it's important to take a good hard look in the mirror and try to better yourself. Um, I mean, you should be aware of your defects and shortcomings so that you you can actually address them and improve upon them and and, and you know fix those things but but to do so uh at the cost of of learning to love yourself again of learning to mm-hmm. recognize those things about you that are good and valuable and worthwhile. We need to be rebuilt, yeah. not torn down yeah and uh and, I, and so I firmly believe and, and that was the message that I received uh the last time I was in rehabilitation uh over three years ago at a place in Indianapolis that was the message they taught was that was, was self love and forgiveness, and mm-hmm. that was precisely what i needed and I've kept that message near and dear to me and um I, I firmly believe that that is we need that as much if not more than all of the uh the self flagellation um you know we need to learn to forgive ourselves and to love ourselves again and if you're gonna you know make a list of your 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 shortcomings and character defects but you can address those things that's fine but do also uh make a list of your assets those things about you that are good and wholesome and and you know what i mean yeah Take uh, you know, takes stock of your of your own self worth and, and value and self esteem because that I think is invaluable and that is not taught in AA, not to my knowledge. And I just I think it's absolutely critical.
0: No, I think you're right and you and you're correct. And especially now, there's more of a literal um, interpretation of the program in a lot of in a lot of groups where the Big Book is the gospel, and it doesn't say in the Big Book yeah. to look at the good stuff. So you know
1: no um, but no, it this... it's just straight paulinist theology it's, yeah. and it's rooted in even and more ancient uh greek philosophical traditions like gnosticism and such that uh uh the kinds of ideas that Plato espouses wherein the uh, material world is vastly inferior to the spiritual world so the, you know uh, being of the flesh and of this world makes you uh, weak and perishable, and uh, and, a, and a slave to flesh, just uh-huh. as you hear Paul say in his letters. And and so it's 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 that deeply ingrained Pauline theology that I I, I just can't stomach.
0: I have to tell you, I really love your intellectual um, knowledge of uh, religion and and theology and all of this. I I I really enjoy that stuff. Um I'm I'm am an atheist, but I I find it fascinating the history of religion and how it all evolved. Yeah, yeah. But I'm too yeah. I, I don't have um for some reason it I I can't I can't invest a lot of time in studying it, but I love listening to people like you. Um Dr. Robert Price, who oh, did the forward to your book. So I,
1: when
0: I when I in fact when I read your the forward to the book, I was like, wow. Um, a lot of people, yeah. maybe people listening to this podcast might not know, but Robert M. Price, he's a he's a biblical scholar. <laughs> And um, I discovered him probably when I was first realizing that I was an atheist. And I started questioning things, you know, and I was really curious about how all of this started. And he um, has a he had a couple of podcasts. He does one right now called The Bible Geek. But he had another one that I first started listening to called The Human Bible. And it was Mm -hmm. really interesting because he takes you all the way through the Bible as As literature, as a historical text, Mm -hmm. and uh, helping people Mm -hmm. understand where this stuff comes from. You know, where do these people get it from? And um, he doesn't, he takes, he looks at it in a very critical way to try to understand it intellectually, but he's not putting these people down. Um, In fact, he has great respect.
1: Cherishes the Bible. He, mm, he loves does. it. He just doesn't regard it as div- God's divine yes. word, but as an ancient document, or rather, a collection of documents. Uh, he he loves and cherishes the Bible, yeah. and I think, in a manner of speaking, you could say that I I do as well. I yeah. just don't regard it with the same approach that ev- you know fundamentalists and evangelicals do.
0: Yeah, I find that really fascinating and um so i really i enjoy that aspect of your writing too because that that plays out in your book i mean it starts with robert Mm -hmm. and price giving the introduction and then you also Mm -hmm. though talk about it um throughout your book and it's and it's really valuable Mm -hmm. having that background and understanding like you like you know you you understand where these concepts come from and alcoholics anonymous you know you know you 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 understand what's going on there where a lot of people, like you know, when I was there, I was like, oh, I don't know, whatever, I'll do whatever you say. But yeah, but anyway, yeah, I do appreciate is, this that. Is not,
1: a lot. This is not uh, some uh, revelatory cure that Bill Wilson just <laughs> happened to conjure up so many years ago. No, this is rooted in ancient superstitious ideas. That's yeah. where it comes from. So I'm able to see it for what it is. Yeah, and uh, and and I tell you, you you know, when you discuss my knowledge on these topics, it's It's funny, as I talk about in the book, the thing that sparked that was uh, reading The Da Vinci Code and other such things. Yeah, you mentioned that. Uh, Yeah, and then, then of course, you know, to everyone listening, they're thinking, oh, my God, he started with The Da Vinci Code. (laughs) Uh, No, you know, come to find out, uh, I mean, Dan Brown's novels are amusing and fun, but uh, he's pretty wide of the mark when it comes to getting his facts straight, and it Uh didn't take long for me to learn that. But I was able to, uh, you know, I I got into, I, I just had to know more. My, my I had this insatiable curiosity about it, and uh, and so I studied Christian apologetics, which mm. you know refuted a lot of what Brown had to say, but also counter apologetics, yeah. where you have you know secular, you know, legitimate biblical scholars like Robert Price and yeah. Richard Carrier, yeah. uh, who who bring to light a lot of this stuff. And I've always been fascinated with uh, comparative religion and the uh-huh. various. Uh, pre-Christian, uh, icons and, and parallels to Christ, Romulus, Osiris, and others. Uh-huh. Uh, who who also rose from the dead, Osiris in particular, whose death and resurrection sort of paved the way for eternal life, for all the uh, Egyptian devotees. I mean, uh, there there is such a thing as parallelomania, in which uh, you have pseudo-scholars of religion uh, make unsubstantiated claims with regard to various figures. But if you really dig deep into the ancient texts and primary sources, you find out that a lot of this stuff is actually legitimate. It's on point. Uh That uh, Christianity and, and, and the Christ figure himself is basically this amalgamation yeah. uh, of ideas that were that were just, they were all over the place yeah. uh, in, in the ancient Mediterranean world.
0: Well, that's fascinating. And, and you know, um, if anyone's ever interested in exploring this stuff, you can go to YouTube. There's so many great things. Um, when when I was um, learning about all of this, I would listen to all these talks on YouTube from Richard Carrier and Robert Price, and mm-hmm. you know, on and on and on, and debates, and it's just it's really fascinating. I, I really I, anyway, I really enjoy that stuff. Um, but like I say, I am not I haven't really absorbed it, and I can't say that I'm an expert on the subject. But I just I just love his entertainment yeah. value, I guess. To, to, yeah, <laughs> I
1: tried to just give a brief overview <laughs> in one in, in one, prote- per, in one uh, chapter of my book in particular. The one titled "What Lies Between Heaven and Earth," yeah. uh, just kind of a brief summary or synopsis of, of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, which, if, if if you're able to comprehend what you're reading there, it's it. it ugh, I hate to to be so bold as to uh-huh. say this, but it almost puts the death nail. And <laughs> if you if you understand oh, yeah. what I, what I'm what I'm saying there, it's like, oh wow, I did not know that. Oh, yeah. uh, so anyway, I won't carry on about no, that. I, but, could go, um, I could go on forever about it. But oh, could I
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love it. So anyway, yeah. another thing that you said in the book, though, um, and and this is what I think is the key to um, recovery for a lot of people. It is for me anyway. Is that connection with other people. Um, yes. And it seems to me that you're pretty open about your your past addiction. Are you? And is that how is that how you kind of form your connection with other people?
1: Absolutely. Yes. I keep no skeletons in my closet whatsoever. Uh, whether on social media or among, uh, my coworkers uh, and of course among my friends, Mm -hmm. I, I I just, I do not hide it. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't rush right out and grab people by the shirt towels and say, hey, I'm an alcoholic. Right. You know, but I, I don't keep it a secret either. And, And of course, if you know me for long enough, you're eventually going to find out that I, uh, am a recovering person. Right. Uh, so I'm very open about it. And, um, yes, it, it is conducive to me having those connections. And also what I love about it is that if other people suffer from the same struggle, yes. they, they, they feel very comfortable about coming to me yes, and uh, and seeking help and advice and guidance. And I love that. It's what I'm able to give back. I, I can't really give back in AA because I can't stomach AA, unfortunately. Right, right. But if I can do it in other ways, which right. is, you know, one, by being as open as I am about my condition, and two, you know, having written this book, mm-hmm. Uh, i mean i i do absolutely would you know sincerely want to be able to help others yeah. who are struggling with this. so i've just had to find alternative ways of doing so
0: and this book is a good way of doing it as i said th- that was a very generous and kind thing to do to share your talent by writing that book because you were very honest and open with your experience mm-hmm. and anybody who yeah. has suffered from addiction is going to is going to relate to your story and there's just mm-hmm. so much power In the sharing of personal experience. And because, Mm -hmm. because the reader knows that they're reading the story of someone who is not suffering today, you know, right? and it's that, it's that, it's that hope, you know, that you get from saying, wow, this is a person you even say at the end of the book, if I can do it, you can do it, anyone can do it
1: absolutely i mean i i um i very openly and honestly discuss uh certain matters certain events in my life that are downright shocking and i won't go into detail about mm-hmm. what those were you should know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. uh but uh but i mean if the book if the book has a climax then uh yeah. then, <laughs> i know precisely what that is i won't do a spoiler I, I won't do a spoiler of, <laughs> Yeah, when right. I see it in, when I see it in terms of a movie or a film, I see that particular yes. event being sort of the climax, so to yes, speak. I know. Because it was uh it's 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 downright it's it's shocking. It's yeah, staggering. It was. Um well, you and, write uh, so have well. To survive,
0: your writing is <laughs> so that? good. Your writing is so good um, because it, it, was, it was reading the book was like watching a movie. And I got to that. Yeah. Sc- I got to that scene. I said, like, "Oh, Jesus Christ!" <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I won't, yeah. I won't spoil it. You have to buy the book, everybody. Right.
1: <laughs> Read the book. Read the book. But, um, but, and, and so that is the message that I'm trying to send. Is, yeah. is that this is where I have been. This is where I'm at now. But. This is where I have been. right? And so I mean it with all sincerity when I say that, you know, cliche as it may sound, if I can do this, you can do it right. too. Um, I mean that wholeheartedly. And, I, and I, I can't imagine anyone reading this book not walking away with that message. Yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. want this to inspire hope and inspiration in others. when <laughs> inspire yeah. inspiration uh, but i, I do I, I want people to walk away um having that hope mm-hmm. um i mean i have as they say and i shared my experience strength and hope and, and i and i i really truly do Hope that this uh, that this is of some help to yeah. to many people. I think it was especially uh, to to all alcoholics mm-hmm. addicts, but especially uh, to those that uh, you, you know who are like us. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with whom uh, the AA just oh, doesn't okay. really uh, um, resonate. No,
0: absolutely. So, what are your future plans for writing? Do you want to expand upon this? Do you want to write on this topic more, or do you want to go in another direction? Have you given that any thought?
1: Yeah, you know, what I, in terms of uh, my creative or writing endeavors, what I'm busy with right now is this new page that I'm a co-administrator uh, for. It's called Heresium. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so when it comes to what we were talking about earlier, you know, uh, knowledge with regard to ancient religious yeah. traditions and biblical criticism and comparative religion and all that, you can find all that stuff there on Heresium. There's a lot of great stuff. It's me and two others involved uh with this and so it's I'm having a lot of fun with that really enjoying it cool. um but uh in addition to that as you as you noted uh, you know my book is a short book It's mm-hmm. a quick read and I designed it that way mm-hmm. on purpose mm-hmm. i wanted it to be something that you know when you're really in recovery Get Mentally, you're kind of fuzzy. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's hard you to read. Really you, <laughs> yeah, you can only, can, you can only uh, uh, digest so much. So I purposefully made it a, a short book and a quick read so that someone suffering from this condition as I had and, and, and in the same kind of state that I was in can sit down and read this in one sitting and walk away uh, with the kind of message that I talked about. However, I've always been of the mind. uh, I mean, from the get-go, you know, Addictus, a non-believer's path to recovery, was originally just a brief blog on my Facebook, Mm -hmm. and then it evolved into the book. Yeah. Uh, And I see that in the book, uh, as I see it, is just one more step in the evolution of this process. At some point, I will probably expand on it Mm -hmm. further, Mm -hmm. and uh, until. Even more of my story, but I think the important thing is that this book does cover the the it's it's relatively comprehensive. It yeah. covers all the major details. You yeah. know, it's it's yeah, smart. It really my does. story is there. It absolutely. Um, is. But, uh, but 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 there is always uh, room for for expansion on that at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I could see myself eventually doing that as well.
0: Well, I have to check out that Facebook page. I was actually looking at it a little bit today. What's it called? Heritius? Heritius? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's sort of a play on heresy and colosseum. Okay. So it's her- heresyum. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's H E R E S I U M. Okay,
0: yeah, that's that's you. I'm probably gonna get drawn into all that again. That's I I love that stuff. Though, so <laughs> anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you you don't have to do all you all you can do is sit back and read. We that's do right. That's yes, all I have to do. <laughs> yeah, right. you know. That's, and we're that's very careful when, we're, when exploring this stuff. We're very careful as I as I talked about earlier about sticking to things that are substantiated right. by the historical record, by ancient sources and primary text that is of paramount importance yeah very cool Well, Derek, because I'm a seeker after the truth, you know, I'm not going to fudge anything. What Uh, I'm interested in, I'm I'm not a soldier for atheism. I'm a soldier for truth, and atheism just so happens to be the thing that I tend to think is true.
0: Same here, same here. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you so much for uh, participating in the podcast. It's been a wonderful conversation, and I do encourage everybody to get the book. I'm I'm gonna we'll link to it on uh, when we post the podcast. Uh, Thank you so much. Stay in touch. Thank you for the
1: opportunity, John. I I really appreciate it.
0: Well, that's it for another episode. Thank you for listening, everybody. I'm, again, very grateful for the opportunity. I appreciate your emails and your kind comments. Um, If you can think about it, if you want to, uh, please visit iTunes and leave us a positive review. Also, if you're looking to connect with others uh, of like mind, we do have a secret Facebook group that you can join. So send me an email at john at aabeyondbelief.org. That's john at aabeyondbelief.org.